Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Jeremiah chapter 12. Um, there's a lot of material here, but I, wanna, I don't want to draw this out. Uh, I just want to make a few points and get us out of here. Um, but this passage is akin to the complaints that we hear from the world. When, if you've ever tried to, you ever tried to talk to somebody about the Lord and they just can't get past all the bad stuff in the world. They're like, if there was a God, and then it's fill in the blank. Why all the starvation in Africa? Why all the war in the Middle East? Why all the diseases or the whatever, or the random acts of violence? Why the school shootings? Why the this, why the that? Well, that is gonna sound familiar to you as we begin reading in Jeremiah chapter 12. Uh, when he begins and says, Righteous are you, Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? A stinking men. Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? You've planted them. They have also taken root. They grow. They've even produced fruit. You are near to their lips, but far from their minds. That's pretty good, isn't it? But you know me, O Lord. You see me and you examine my heart's attitude toward you. Drag them off like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for a day of carnage. No real redemptive prayer here, you know? <laughs> How long is the land to mourn and the vegetation of the countryside to wither for the wickedness of those who dwell in it? Animals and birds have been snatched away. There's even something in here for environmentalists. Because men have said he will not see our latter ending. But I want you to pay attention real quick to verse 5 with me. And some of your Bibles will open this with quotes. And it says this. If you have run with footmen and they have tired you out, then how can you compete with horses? And if you fall down in a land of peace, how will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? For even your brothers and the household of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Even they have cried aloud after you. Do not believe them, although they may say nice things. And this is where it gets good, because this is where God begins to respond. And this is why it's so important that when we're complaining, that we take time to shut up and listen. Okay? Some of us are really good at complaining, but we're not good at stopping and listening. God's answer, verse 7. I have forsaken my house. Ouch. I have abandoned my inheritance. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has roared against me. Therefore, I have come to hate her. Is my inheritance like a speckled bird of prey to me? Are the birds of prey against her on every side? Go, gather all the beasts of the field and bring them to devour. Many shepherds have ruined my vineyard. Man, just hear that spoken over New England this morning. Lord, redeem us. Many shepherds have ruined my vineyard. They've trampled down my field. They've made my pleasant field a desolate wilderness. It's been made a desolation. Desolate, it mourns before me. This is a lot of the word desolate, and that's on purpose. In English, we're not even getting the emphasis uh, of the Hebrew um, word here, how much desolation the Lord is talking about. The whole land has been made desolate because no man lays it to heart. I want to stop right there for just a second and work through some of this before we get to the good stuff at the end. 
Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Everybody's asking. Everybody's asking. And honestly, I think it's everybody's favorite excuse because it's an easy target, right? Like, you don't have to look far. You don't have to scroll far. You don't have to swipe far to know that the way of the wicked is prospering. I think it's, it's our favorite excuse, but I also think we know better. I think anybody that's really called on the name of the Lord and has really uh, understood the gospel, I think we know better. I think we understand um, the heart of the Father a little bit better than we even give ourselves credit for. And he says this, and so we're going to jump around a little bit in here for just a minute, but he says, if you tire with the footmen, how will you keep up with the horses? And if you fall down in the land of peace, how in the world are you going to make it through the thicket of the Jordan? You see, here's the deal. We want God to take responsibility for the state of the world, but saints, he wants us to take responsibility for it. In fact, he gave us responsibility for it. If anybody remembers Genesis, this whole thing started off with God giving us dominion. Now, nobody uses the word dominion anymore unless they're going to name their company after it. Some of us still pull out the Old Testament because we know how much power there is in it. But we don't like the word dominion because it makes us uncomfortable. We'd rather be a victim. We'd rather be weak. The world teaches us that it's more fruitful to lay down than it is to rise up and take on the assignment that's been given to us. So dominion feels heavy. But essentially, dominion means authority, ownership, possession, responsibility. You want to hear something crazy? (laughs) I probably said this in here years ago, but one of my Greek professors in undergrad, um, he's just this phenomenal, his name is Brother David Ritchie, phenomenal, phenomenal man uh, in the word and with um, original language. And he talked about how when God first created us, that narrative, we're not going to go back to it because we don't have time, but that narrative of creation and the passing over of dominion, um, we were created, the, the, the original language there makes us out. It describes us more as little gods, which is creepy and like weird. Why? Because we don't like the sense of responsibility that goes along with it. We don't, we don't, We don't cherish the thought of how much power we're really called to walk in. God gave us dominion over the earth. But I want to talk really quickly about the the spiral of that authority when it goes unchecked. You see, authority unchecked becomes abuse. And when abuse no longer serves its purpose, because abuse is really for the sake of use. It's using something, right? unethically or, or in an unhealthy way. And so when that abuse no longer is useful, no longer serves its purpose, it becomes neglect. And neglect renders chaos. And chaos is the world we live in. Chaos is our culture. Chaos is what even the New Testament calls, like, you know, the, the, the evil is called good and good is called evil. That's where we're at right now. And we may point the finger at the world, and we may point the finger at God, 
But there is a sovereign responsibility that rests squarely on the shoulders of the bride. And it's time, it's time that we check it again. We've abused it. The church has abused it. The bride of Christ has abused it. Believers have abused it. And when we stopped getting what we wanted out of it, it turned into neglect. We said, forget about it. We'll stick our heads in the sand over here. We'll build our communes. We'll build our churches. And we'll build high walls around them. I remember, I remember um, talking to a missionary years ago to a Latin country. And he was talking about how he wanted to um, open this church in downtown but that they were praying for the bar next door to shut down and that they weren't going to open the church until the bar shut down. And he was so pompous and so arrogant and so stupid about it, and I just want to smack him in his face. (laughs) But I have so much (laughs) self-control that I didn't. Out of respect for the fact that he was a friend of somebody that I respected and honored. And I sat there and I listened to this guy and I finally said, I'm like... Are you serious? Like, I think that's exactly where you should plant your church. Leave the bar open. What in the world are we doing? Who do we think we are that the world is supposed to? No. What is, this is the mess that we're in, saints. We, we, our authority went unchecked, and we began to abuse it. And when abuse got old and unfruitful and boring, We left the whole thing by the wayside in neglect. And now, and now we want to charge someone else. We want to indict someone else, anyone else on the state of the world. It's time that we stopped holding the world to the church's standard and start holding ourselves to God's standard. All right. If you need something to write down, you can write this down. The chaos we are walking around is the fruit of the authority we are not walking in. The chaos we're walking around is the fruit of the authority we're not walking in. So he goes on to, um, he goes on to make this statement, and I love it and I hate it, but actually before we get there, let's talk about this. If you tire with the footmen, how in the world can we compete with horses? See, This is perfect for America. This is perfect for us because the biggest complaints in our lives are like first world problems, right? The biggest complaints in our lives. It's like that our phone battery doesn't last long enough or, you know, that um, Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. (laughs) Or one of mine is that the ice cream barn closes at 930. Because for some reason, for some reason, Every meeting that we have in this church ends at like 9.32. Every meet, I cannot get out of the parking lot before like 9.33 and a half. And I've literally like driven 80 miles an hour to try to get to the ice cream barn. And I'm like peeling in with like cops on my tail, like doing a donut into the thing. And they're like just locking the door. And I'm like, it's for my wife. (laughs) <laughs> it's for the pivas. <laughs> and then I look up and they're inside waving at me. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. 
First world problems. If you fall down in the land of peace, how will you do it in the thicket of the Jordan? Some of you, you're like, why is the brush getting so much thicker right now? I've been wandering, I've been walking, and I've been moving in the direction that I'm supposed to be moving into, right? Towards the promised land. Isn't that where I'm supposed to be? Towards the destiny. I've been trying to leave Egypt behind. I've been trying to leave an old life behind. I've been trying to leave a mess behind, slavery behind, addiction behind, toxic relationships behind. I've been trying to do this and get across this wilderness. And God, isn't this the direction I'm supposed to be moving? Why is it getting harder? Because obstacles always grow thicker near thresholds. Obstacles always grow thicker near thresholds. That same water that would separate a wilderness from a promised land, it didn't just water the good godly things. It wasn't just there to bring life to the cultivated promises of the promised land. It also brought uh, an abundance of brush and obstacles and things that made it hard to get through. And so for some of us, and we've talked quite a bit about this, I remember a message a couple months ago and I talked about how people coming through the door of this church, how it's like they're experiencing the presence of God and they're encountering a, a move of the Lord in their life and they're responding to conviction and they're at the altar and God's showing up and speaking to them, but also like the fit hit the shan in their life and like everything's just falling apart at the seams. It's like they're just coming unglued and things are like relationships and jobs and they're losing this and they're that and they're in trouble and over here and it's like, Zach, how has like all hell broken loose in my life when everything is also moving in the right direction? Because obstacles always grow thicker near thresholds. And if you're approaching a threshold moment or season in your life, anticipate the brush. Anticipate the briars. Okay? Anticipate what it means to get through this, to get to the other side. Okay? Let's keep going. I had so many people come up after that message. I had, so, I had emails and text messages that week, like, Zach, thank you so much for saying that because it's like you feel alone. You're like, you don't even want to tell anybody because everybody hears the testimony and sees the progress in your life, but what they don't know is that all havoc is breaking loose in your mind, in your family, in your home, in your finances, in whatever. Don't be afraid of this. And the bigger the threshold and the bigger the promises, the more obstacles are going to set in the way. Keep chugging. So while the whole land lays desolate, in verse 11, let's go there. It's been made a desolation. Desolate it mourns before me. The whole land has been made desolate because no man lays it to heart. That word lays comes from a Hebrew, uh, I think it's a, it's a primitive root that means to put or ordain to appoint, to allow something to be assigned. The land lay in desolation because no man lays it to heart. No man appoints or assigns it to his heart. 
nobody will allow the weight, the full gravity of this authority to really penetrate into their heart. You know what's interesting about that word? It's used a million times, but you know where the first time it's used? In Genesis 2, 8. We're somewhere in there. Don't go there because it's probably not 2, 8. Where is it? Somewhere. Somewhere, and somewhere it says, the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put a man whom he had formed. Genesis 2, 8. <laughs> the Lord God planted a garden eastward toward Eden, and there he placed, he put, he assigned, he appointed he ordained a man. Here's the crazy thing. God will put something on your heart. But it's up to us to allow it to penetrate into the deeper places. We, we almost like having a burden on our heart, right? Because it comes with an air of import. It, it's like it, it makes us feel significant. Like, yeah, I've got this thing on my heart. I just have this burden for the Lord. It's just on my heart. He just put it there, right here. We like it because it gives us a language to speak in circles of ministry and fruitfulness and kingdom-ish. And so, we, and so we, we like the idea of it, but in the same way that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and in the same way that Jesus will stand at the door and just knock and not bad boys, cops kick it in, in the same way, he will lay something on your heart, but it's up to us to accept it. Many are called, but few are chosen. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Why? It's not because a lot of people don't have the burden on their heart. Good God, if I, I took a poll in here of how many of you, well, well, how many of you want to see the lost saved? How many of you have a burden to see that latter-day rain and the harvest come in and those end times? You would all be like, yeah. Hopefully, if not, good Lord, worse off than we thought. But at the end of the day, we have to accept the assignment. Remember Mission Impossible? Should you choose to accept this, right? Should you choose to accept this? What does that mean? It means Tom Cruise always had a way out and all the other people that played it. It's, it, it, it he, there was always the option to say no. And saints, we've become so accustomed to saying no. We've become so accustomed to saying, let me pray about that. I remember talking to Carrie O'Brien and Lori. They were saying when they had asked us to serve on a board a number of years ago, and, um, and they said, you know, would you guys pray about the board? And I'll say, yeah. We'll, I said, yeah, we'll do it. We were talking about it later, and she was like, I think you're the first person that didn't say, we'll pray about that. Guys, if you're already praying, if you're already praying without ceasing, you don't have to pray about it when something comes up. Oh my God, the excuses. It's outrageous. Hey, could you use your gifts for this kingdom thing? And, and, you know, we really need you. We're missing the exact thing that you have, and you're free that night. Would you 
consider coming out and maybe doing this thing for a thing that nobody else can do and you know it's like right in your backyard could you host the thing bring some cupcakes make some cookies i don't know let me let me let me spend some time in prayer about it how many tuesday night services do i have between now and then because i need to really go and get on my face before the lord i really just i just need to mm, mm. Mm, I feel like the Lord wants to give me a new prayer language to pray in before I pray about it. So I'm going to wait on that prayer language. In fact, I'm not even baptized in the Holy Spirit yet, but I'm going to pray for the... Ba- if I get the baptism and then I get the prayer language and then I feel like it's confirmed 19 times, I'll think about it. Good Lord have mercy. God forgive us. We have abused the fleece, haven't we? <laughs> I need to put a fleece out. Jesus, with the old Navy performance fleeces. I remember when they came. Anybody remember them, the old Navy performance fleeces? Every time I saw that commercial, I'm like, God, forgive us. Put the fleece out, Lord Jesus. So here's the deal. Are you taking to heart what God put on your heart? Are you taking to heart the burden God put on your heart? Because at its lowest common denominator, the root of what he put on your heart is dominion. It's authority. And the Lord softens the blow by making it look a little smaller. (laughs) He's like, it's just to do this one outreach event. It's just to teach in his kids. It's just to do, and he like makes it, he like rearranges it a little bit so that we can digest it by the grace of God. Thank you, Lord, for that. Because if we really heard dominion every time he said it, we would all run screaming and hide. Will you take to heart what he put on your heart because he won't do it for you? He won't kick the door in. And I want to close with these last couple of lines here. Verse 14, if you would come with me here, it says, Thus says the Lord concerning all my wicked neighbors who strike at the inheritance with which I have endowed my people Israel. Behold, I'm about to uproot their butts from their land And will uproot the house of Judah from among them. Uh Uh-oh, we're going with them. And it will come about that after I have uprooted them, there it is again, I will again have compassion on them. Thank you, Jesus. And I will bring them back, each one to his inheritance and each one to his land. Then, if they will really, everybody underline really in your Bible, circle it, highlight it. Cross it out and write it in capital letters. Really learn the ways of my people to swear by my name, and then in quotes, as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, they will be built up in the midst of my people. Let's talk about it, and then we're going to close. There's a lot of uprooting in this little passage. And these, these prophets, Jeremiah is actually incredibly poetic and it doesn't always translate in English. Um, but you can watch, um, some, some of your Bibles will, as they translate things that are written in poetic cadence, uh, you'll see the lines start to jog and it's written more like a poem than it is like, uh, just narrative, just prose. But, um, the, the way he emphasizes this uprooting is important. And it's important, saints, because part of the problem is what we're rooted in. 
Part of the problem with the fruit that we bear or the fruit that we don't is what we're rooted in. In fact, um, Ashley follows a lot of uh, gardeners and um, people online and, and this thing now, and I know it's not like just now, but the modern push is not about fertilizer. It's not about um, how you're planting. It's not about the heirloomness of the seeds. It's not about any, it's all about the soil. And it's like, start with the soil, get rid of everything else. Gone are the days when you can just walk outside and dig a hole and plant a plant. You have to amend, that's the word, amend the soil, okay? I should probably have you come up and talk about it because I don't actually know anything about it. Ashley just puts a bag in my hand and a shovel. She's like, amend this. <laughs> and so I make amends. Um, but the deal is when something is rooted in a place that's not going to work, it has to be uprooted. We uh, recently, earlier this year, we bought an Alaskan weeping cedar that was gorgeous because Ashley wanted some evergreen stuff in the side yard area um, because we heard that Nadia and Jeremiah were moving in next door and we wanted more of like a block between us and them. Just kidding, total joke, total joke. We love them. In fact, just yesterday I was cutting down trees so that we could see their beautiful faces. But uh, I plant this cedar in the same thing that everything else is planted in and uh, it was like this big compost mix and this and that and it was all this like perfect stuff and everything else is thriving in this Cedar is like going home to be with Jesus as we speak. And I'm like, mm, something's wrong. And so I call my good friend Jeremiah, Josiah, not Jeremiah. Jeremiah lives next door. I didn't call Jeremiah. I called Josiah McLagan to come over because he's an expert. And he comes in and takes a soil sample and pulls it out, this like core sample. And it's coming up with like wet and roots and stuff. And he's like, yeah, you're going to have to uproot. What? I just planted this. Everything else is doing great. What's wrong with this? What are you talking about? I paid good money for this compost. This should be fine. I put weed cloth down. I put mulch down. I have this thing irrigated. I have a, a, a drip line around it. For heaven's sake. Dig it up, Zach. So I'm out there digging it up. He says, you need to do a mix, a 50-50 mix, sand and compost, and bring it up another five or six inches out of the ground. The crown needs to crest the top. You need to move this mulch out of the way. The soil's not drying out. Uproot. See, part of the problem is what we're rooted in, and we don't see it because it's under the surface. Our eyes go to the leaves, it goes to the fruit, it goes to the pests, and we start spraying and treating and, and, and doing everything we can. We're fumigating our orchards, trying to solve a problem that exists under the surface. It's what we're rooted in. It's what we're absorbing up from the bottom, saints. And so thus saith the Lord, uproot, uproot. You can't see it but we'll keep absorbing it and we'll be nourished by exactly what it is that kills us. So he says, after I have uprooted them. And if you're paying attention here, he's uprooting them from the promised land. He's not uprooting them from Egypt or the wilderness. These are the people of God who have 
settled in the promises of God, but beneath the surface were still the toxins of Canaan and the idolatry and the, and the, and the perversion and the corruption was coming up. So he says, I'm going to uproot them, and then I will again have compassion on them. And I will bring them back, each one to his inheritance. Would you stand with me this morning? Then I will bring them back to their inheritance. I will bring them back to his inheritance and each one to his land. Isn't this interesting? That's what compassion looks like. That's what compassion looks like from the Lord, is bringing us back to our inheritance. Would you note with me for just a minute how God's answer for injustice is not the redistribution of wealth. God's answer for injustice is the reallocation of promise. The reallocation of inheritance. It's the thing that was always meant for you. It's not the thing you thought you wanted. It's not the thing that if you could just make a little bit more or get that promotion, uh, it's not the thing that you're trying to afford. It's the thing that was already purchased for you. And it's not that God has to bring it back to you. It's that he has to bring you back to it. And then, I could preach just on that all day, so I'm, I have to keep going. Then, if they will really learn the ways of my people. Now, the way this is worded, I love it that he doesn't just say, and then if they'll really just do the ways of my people. If they'll just walk in the ways of my people. If they'll just do the things that define my people, that make my people my people, then they'd be my people. No, he says, if they'll learn the ways. If they'll learn the ways, why? I said this to an ethics course that I taught here and like back, we were like two years old and um, I did a small group on Christian ethics. And I said, remember just being on my heart so heavy. This is what happens when you take it to heart, right? When, when the Lord puts it on you and then you put it in you. And, and I remember feeling so heavy. It's so important, not just that we know what we're supposed to do as Christians, but we're, we need to know why. That's really learning the ways. When you sit in a good class under a good teacher, you don't just learn the power of the gospel like Pastor Kurt teaches it. You learn why. The why of the heart of the Father you hear why, you, you read between the lines and you start to say, oh wait, so I shouldn't just like stop fornicating or I shouldn't just stop stealing from my job or I shouldn't, I sh it's not that I should just stop this. That's just a bunch of rules. That's not what Jesus wanted. He wanted us to know the Father's heart and learning the ways means learning the whys. Learn the whys. And if they'll learn the ways, and instead of swearing by the things of this world, instead of saying, yeah, I mean, 
bail, this is how it works, right? If I can afford it, if it makes sense, if it's logical, if it's reasonable, I'll do it. If it's rational, no. He says, start to make what you're committing and swearing and dedicating your lives to do, do so by the life of our God. He says, here's how it sounds, as surely as the Lord lives. If What if we begin to connect everything that we did to the fact that our God is alive? What if every sacrifice we made, we made because our God is alive? What if everything that we allowed to sink in burden that the Lord's rested on our heart and it sank into the deeper recesses as deep of heaven cried out to the deep of us and we said you know what because my God is alive I will rise to the occasion because my God is alive I will serve in this capacity because my God is alive I will do whatever it takes I will go wherever is required I will give up whatever is needed That, my friends, is dominion. That is the responsibility of authority. And that is what will change the world. Heavenly Father, we just, God, we come to you overwhelmed and feeling rather under-equipped to truly steward dominion, to truly steward authority, God, forgive us because we are a people that tire with the footmen. We are a people who have trouble standing upright and walking when the path is easy. God, only by your spirit, not by our might and not by our power, will we keep up with the horses. Not by might and not by our power, but only by your spirit will we make it across the next threshold of our lives. So we lean into you this morning. And we invite you to lean into us. God, forgive us when we have charged a desolate world and indicted you with the problem. God, may that be far from our lips, but close to our mind, the opposite of what we've been guilty of in the past. God, may you be forever on our heart that we would take this into that place of significance, into that place of of cherished intercession within our souls, God, within our spirits. I pray that you would find us eager to dive into the wise. God, I pray that our greenhouses would be brimming with a pursuit, a passionate pursuit of the wise. God, we don't just want to walk in the ways. Lord, we want to be able to to, uh, apologetically speak to the waves. We want to be able to help clarify and, and, and reproduce the ways in a language that this world can understand to see your kingdom come and your will be done here in New England as it is in heaven. So, Father... Whatever needs to be uprooted, uproot it, God. We're not asking you to go easy. We're just asking for your strong right hand to pull us from whatever pit 
we've been nourished from. That we could take root and bear fruit for your kingdom. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.